welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Kleber. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Uber and Aslam. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 5. And I'm sure that most people who are listening to this know what Uber is, but for those who don't, it's a ride-sharing app that allows users to pay for a lift from one place to another. In this case, the question is all about the employment status of the drivers. Are they simply independent contractors or are they workers? The answer is important because worker status grants a variety of rights, including the national minimum wage and annual paid leave. Further to this, there was also another more intricate question about at what times the driver should be considered to be working. After all, this isn't like a full-time job with standard 9-5 to hours. A driver can open the app at any time, so should that count as working? Perhaps it should only count when they actually have a passenger in the car. Anyway, to get back to this case at hand, the respondent Aslam was an Uber driver at the relevant time back in 2016 and brought a test case about his employment status. In order to answer the question, the Employment Tribunal considered the definition of a worker as it is outlined in Section 230, Subsection 3 of the Employment Rights Act 1996. Naturally, a worker includes someone who is working under a standard contract of employment, like those in a full-time job, but it can also cover someone who is self-employed, and there is a contract, quote, whereby the individual undertakes to do or perform personally any work or services for another party to the contract, whose status is not by virtue of the contract that of a client or customer of any profession or business undertaking carried on by the individual, end quote. Taking that definition into account, the tribunal found in favour of Aslam and held that he was a worker. The Employment Appeal Tribunal and the Court of Appeal agreed, so Uber launched one last, final appeal to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. Uber's lawyers put forward the argument that the app simply acts as a sort of booking agent between people who need a ride and willing drivers. Once that journey is agreed upon, the contract exists between the driver and the passenger. The cut of the fare that Uber takes is simply a service fee. Furthermore, they argue, drivers are free to work when they want and as much as they want, which is more what you would expect from an independent contractor. The justices of the Supreme Court didn't buy any of this. While it is true that there was no formal written contract between Uber and its drivers, That only means that the courts have to look at the reality of the relationship and judge it on that basis. Following the 2011 case of Autocleanse and Belcher, it is important to take account of the purpose of the legislation. Namely, the idea behind having worker status is to offer at least some level of protection to those who are in a vulnerable position because they are in a subordinate position to a larger company that has control of their work, and the individuals have almost no say at all over their pay or working conditions. In essence, the legislation is a recognition that employers are in a much stronger bargaining position, and might seek to exploit that by denying their workers a range of important rights. With that in mind, the Supreme Court looked to peer behind the veil and examine the true nature of the relationship between Aslam and Uber. There were five key factors that the justices picked up on, and it is well worth going through these in turn. The first point was about the app itself. 
If you have used Uber before, you will know that it is the company that sets the fare and not the individual driver. Importantly, therefore, it is Uber that effectively places a limit on how much its drivers can earn. Secondly, the contract terms are imposed by Uber, and there is no negotiation on the terms and conditions that would give the drivers a meaningful say in the legal relationship. Third, even though drivers can technically refuse fares, if they do so too regularly, then they can be penalised and even forcibly locked out of the app for a period of time. In that sense, the ability for drivers to make their own choices about what work they carry out is constrained by the company. The fourth point is to do with the rating system that those who use the app regularly will be familiar with. Passengers can rate their driver on a scale between 1 and 5 stars. If a driver's overall rating begins to fall, then they will begin to receive warnings from Uber. If their average doesn't improve, then they may ultimately be prohibited from using the app at all. This rating system is a way for the company to control the way in which drivers offer their service. The fifth and final point is that Uber limits the communication that takes place between the driver and the passenger, so that there is no relationship that exists beyond the single ride. When communication does not extend beyond the single transaction, it basically requires the customer to rely on the app for future journeys, rather than the driver offering their services. Putting all of this together, it becomes very clear that the work of the drivers is very closely controlled by Uber through a variety of different means. This places the drivers in a position of subordination and dependence to the company, without any material way for them to improve their position through talent or skill. In fact, the only way for them to do better by themselves is to simply work longer hours. Overall, then, it is right for the drivers to be legally classed as workers, but we still need to answer when exactly the drivers are considered to be working. The Employment Tribunal held that this was not limited to when the drivers were actually taking passengers from point A to point B, but also encompassed whenever the drivers were logged into the app and were ready, willing and able to accept fares. The Supreme Court saw no problem with this reasoning and upheld it in its own judgment. Obviously, this case and the decision by the Supreme Court attracted a lot of attention from the media, and I think most people were supportive of the additional rights that will now be conveyed to Uber drivers. Since the judgment was handed down, the tech the company has tried to argue that this decision only applies to a small number of drivers who were working in 2016, like Aslam, and by implication doesn't say anything about the relationship that the company has with the 60,000 or so drivers currently offering services in the UK. That statement, though, is quite hard to believe. Fundamentally, the core aspects of the relationship between the driver and the company have not changed in the past five years. And what is more likely to happen now is that the floodgates will be opened and more drivers will bring claims seeking compensation. Now that the employment tribunals are armed with this precedent, they can be much more strident in their decisions and it would be much more difficult for Uber to launch any sort of appeal. This in itself will cost the company several thousands of pounds, but that is obviously a drop in the ocean for a large tech company. The more serious impact will be the operation of the company in the UK moving forward. Drivers earn on average £5 an hour, which is far from the minimum wage. If Uber wants to continue running at its current capacity, then it will have to start paying more to its drivers 
in order to make up the difference. This is on top of other statutory rights that workers are entitled to. Of course, another option is that Uber could reduce its services in this country or even pull out of the UK market altogether. That is why some drivers were significantly less supportive of the ruling because while it might improve things for now, it has the potential to drastically impact their livelihood over the longer term. I think that is an important consideration to have, but it doesn't change the way that I feel about the decision. Yes, some drivers do have it okay now and are rightly worried, but there are many others who have either felt trapped by Uber and have ended up working ridiculous hours just to pay their bills, or have struggled because they have not had access to rights to which they should have been entitled. In the gig economy, if large companies are not held to at least some basic standard, then they will continue to use their dominant bargaining position to squeeze even more out of the people who actually do the work. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you'd like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and an ebook on how to answer essay questions during a law degree. If that sounds like something you are interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!